0: This is a podcast from WSUM. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not reflect the views
1: of WSUM, the University of Wisconsin-Madison, or its Board of Regents. Hello all, and welcome to the final summer asynchronous edition of After Further Review for WSUM. We are in the listening room right now as more construction is being done, so this is our last hurrah until the studios are temporarily shut down and we'll be back this September. So I'm honored to say that Alex Schuster is back with me. How are you doing, Alex?
0: I'm doing very well. I really appreciate uh, you putting your faith in me, uh, thinking that I would have better takes than... uh, Anyone else that comes you, on the show? You had some
1: rough ones, and I, I am thankful that my, my friend Wade was here last time.
0: I think I set a, a low bar for any uh, co-host. Uh, I mean, my, my takes aren't really too advanced. They are more uh, based out, to get a reaction you, out of you more than of a, anything. But you're more of
1: an ESPN kind of analyst.
0: I'm. I'd be uh, a perfect uh, Skip Bayless replacement. <laughs> oh
1: gosh. Well, anyways, I always we'll start off with rate my take, where the two of us ambush each other with with takes that we came up with ahead of time. Uh, We'll flip a coin to see decide who goes first. Uh, Alex, heads or tails? Uh, Heads. Heads. It is tails. So I'm going to elect to defer and have you go first. So go ahead.
0: All right. So I think that the expectation uh, in this upcoming NFL season for Jordan Love and the Green Bay Packers is to at least be in playoff contention for their last game of the season. I think the bar should stay exactly where it was last season. Uh, I don't think they have to make the playoffs for the season to be uh, disappointing, but I think they should be in contention all the way through the season, whether they make it or not. The quarterback position is obviously the big change uh, going into this year, and I think we should—I mean, I think— we say this every year about the Packers, but we should expect them to have a pretty good defense, uh, <laughs> a pretty good run game, and more experience uh, at the wide receiver position going into next year to see like a little bit of an improvement in all those areas. Uh, I would expect to see some decline at the quarterback position, although Aaron Rodgers didn't exactly have the best season uh, last year by any means. So I think it would be fair to s- expect Jordan Love to come in and keep that uh, team afloat and exactly at that same position uh they were last year maybe not expect them to actually make the playoffs but actually be in contention all the way through the season
1: so you're saying that's what the expectation should be this year
0: yeah that that's what uh we should be like at least for packer fans like i I don't think we should be setting the bar any higher than that i think that's like the highest you can possibly set the bar for him
1: hmm all right uh i i don't know i'm not good with like judging expectation and stuff I'll, i'll i'll give you uh Actually, I'll just talk, and I'll come up with a yeah. way. <laughs> I, I guess the the way I see it, the way Jordan Love is being talked about is, it's like, well, can the internal improvements between the Packers, with having a, a, another year for all the rookie wide receivers coming in and some internal development from other players, can that make up for losing a a disengaged but still a, a very good Aaron Rodgers? I mean, I I don't know. I I almost feel like because you talk about where the expectations should be, but I think that it's not a team where you should really have any expectations. I think that's what would make this year so fun because I have no clue how they'll do this year. Is there's a chance that Jordan Love picks right up where Aaron Rodgers left off and the Packers are perfectly fine this year? Yeah, there's certainly a chance. There's also a chance that they crash and burn this year. But I think that, honestly, I don't think we should have any expectations whatsoever and just embrace the fact that we have no clue what the heck's going to happen. I guess if I had to, if I had a, a gun to my head, forced to predict how the Packers would do, I think that edge of playoff contention is probably a good place to put it. So I think I'll, I think I'll give you the, the six out of ten for this one. But I, I don't know. It's just it's such it's so difficult to judge because even though we basically have all the same players as last year, it feels like so much has changed, even if not that much has.
0: And I think the like so the fact that the Packers extended Jordan Love. They put their faith on it, uh, into him, like, going into the future now. Um, well, it's,
1: it's kind of like he, it, the extension was kind of – he doesn't gain an extra year of the contract. It sounds like that his fifth-year option is guaranteed, basically, except he's going to make less money for his fifth year and more money this year. So it's kind of like they're balancing out a little bit. But I, I guess giving a guy a contract does show some confidence in him. Uh, and
0: that factor plus having, like you said, the – like the talent for Aaron Rodgers was probably much higher, uh, or definitely much higher. Um, he's more experienced, but at the same time, he's disengaged. He wasn't really interested in staying in Green Bay. He wanted to just collect as much money as possible uh, while getting out without damaging his reputation as much as possible. And then as soon as he got to New York, he was happy to be there, willing to take <laughs> a pay cut, and immediately uh, changes his entire attitude and persona uh a, like around football and, and being a team friendly guy going and being seen with uh his star wide receiver at uh big games in the offseason making himself be publicly available for media interviews things that he would have never done in green bay unless it was the pat mcafee show
1: yeah that's i really do think that's funny i mean i guess because it's, it's like, I almost wonder if the Jets signed the doppelganger version of Aaron Rodgers we saw on NBC a couple of years ago, because he's like a completely different guy. However, g- going back to Jordan Love, I feel like the the Packers definitely have given him all the chance in the world to prove that he's a starter. And I think that he's really, clearly he's put in the work on both the, well, we'll see about the on-field stuff, but just the fact that he's willing to go on vacations with his receivers and build that rapport of them, I think that bodes really well. Now, this actually, I'm kind of happy that we're talking about the Packers to open up the show, because I had a like-dislike, but I just, I want to jump to it right now, where Jordan Love, at the start of minicamp, I guess he had a really bad practice, and it was like, oh my gosh, he just got outplayed by Sean Clifford in practice, like, this guy's toast, and I saw so many articles about how he was doing so bad. Jordan Love had a great practice the other day, I guess he was, like, totally dotting up the defense, he even made a throw, it was like the cover two throw, I think, where It's like between the underneath corner and the over the top safety, threaded in a tiny gap, that's a tough throw. And I just I don't see anybody talking about it when he does well, which I find just unsurprising but funny.
0: Yeah, for sure. I I I don't know that he's going to be the long term guy, but I think every team, especially if you're an organization that's hopefully like the idea of the Packers is them with the Steelers or the Patriots or some of these teams that are like established brands, teams, and cultures that should be able to survive year over year having around a 500 record. And you'd expect to, even if you lose a key asset of that, that the organization like keeps that same culture going forward. So if you swap that piece for a year or two, you could still like hold your head above water and then hopefully... uh, to either turn that player into the guy or find the next one and keep building from there
1: yeah i guess that's what makes an organization great is like you're great when you want to be great and then the case of like the spurs or i guess the colts when Peyton manning was gone for a year you you're bad on purpose basically because you know you don't have enough to get over the top so i don't know hopefully we're just not in that hodgepodge middle of not sure what we're going to do next year But I I hope we get a definitive answer at the end of this year, which I think we'll get. I mean, 17 games is a pretty big sample size when it comes to football.
0: Uh, This is kind of just spitballing here, but what do you think is, like, the benchmark during the season of when we should know, like, what the the trend for the year is going to be? Like, what— Do you think it's going to take all 17 games, or do you think there's a point before then? Like, Colin Coward's thing is like, oh, you'll know by Thanksgiving, which is (laughs) definitely not enough time. Like, I think Thanksgiving's the point where everything flips, where the team that wins their first five or six games or whatever it might be, and then they just completely turn on their head and tank the next five or six, and their season's just completely headed the the wrong way, and vice versa of teams that stumble at the beginning and then really pick up steam through the end of the season. So where do you think that benchmark would be of, like, you, you can have at least an idea of, Look, to I, make your take? I'd then. say
1: it depends what kind of you're talking, like what part of the team. If you're talking about quarterback, I think by week five, well, have a pretty good answer of if Jordan Love is competent or not. <laughs> I feel bad using that term. It, it, <laughs> I, we'll see how he plays. But, yeah, I mean, you, you think about, like, 2016 when the Packers were 4-6, and six and it was like, oh, my gosh, I mean, maybe they should just try and tank. But then all of a sudden they rattle off six straight wins and beat the Cowboys in the – divisional round, which is probably my favorite game of sports I've ever watched, ever. So, yeah, I guess it's a good point when you say you can't really judge a team until it's over. But that being said, there's just, sometimes you just know. So, I think this will be a team where you know pretty quick.
0: Do you think it would be like a Daniel Jones situation where immediately everyone's against him? Like, the team's stumbling. He's literally stumbling on the field. (laughs) And that... (laughs) (laughs) And it's... He just sticks it out though, and manages to like they give him a fair contract, uh, kind of decrease. Uh, it. I mean, it, it was a different, a, a lot of money, but for the way the quarterback position is trending, I feel like that at this point is a fair contract. Yeah,
1: well, I guess we'll find out. It should be a. I'm I'm very excited for this year, and I even have like Super Bowl aspirations. It's not as I I can't wait to watch the Packers because I want can't wait to see him win. It's just I can't wait to watch the Packers. Period. I'm I'm very excited.
0: I think that's. Almost every year for me, until it's week one or week two, I'm always super nervous. And then it, if we drop one of those games horribly, then you have to <laughs> listen to, like, all the fans that got way too excited in the offseason, just overreact for two weeks, and then slowly build that trust back through the end of the yeah, year. Yeah,
1: it's all fun and games until a holding call costs you on a touchdown. It's, oh, my gosh, the <laughs> team's falling apart. Oh, gosh. Well, good stuff. So, okay, if I go ahead then. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so uh, there's... Uh, a, drop, a beef going on in the NFL right now it's totally came out of nowhere an absolute sucker punch I'm talking about the the Broncos and the Jets so basically Sean Payton the new coach of the Broncos who's given quite a bit of sound bites over there he took a, a one-year sabbatical from being the Saints head coach then he spent a year at Fox now he's back with the Broncos and basically unprompted he started giving some juicy quotes about why the Broncos were so bad this year. He said, some teams are, quote, spending so much bleep time trying to win the off season, the PR, the pomp, and circumstance, marching people around and all this stuff. We're not doing any of that. Then, without any just completely going on, unprompted, the Jets did that this year. You watch Hard Knocks, all of it. I can see it coming. Now, that, that, that's pretty funny. But I don't get why he used hard knocks as an example because the Jets famously don't want to be on hard knocks. They're trying to hide from it. However, it it kept going. He almost doubled down. They asked him about Russell Wilson, and he stuck up for his quarterback by maybe the most effective way, but also the most uh, dangerous one by straight-up attacking Nathaniel Hackett. He said, I don't know Hackett. A lot of people had dirt on their hands. It wasn't just Russell. He didn't just flip. He still has it. This BS that he hit the wall... Shoot! They couldn't even get a play in. They were 29th in the league and pre-snap penalties on both sides of the ball. Now it's one of those things where it's true, but what do you have to gain from saying that? I feel like
0: I don't know. Maybe yeah, you got to tear them down to I, build them back up I guess again. So
1: clearly he's building the expectations high. We've we've seen the Jets respond. Uh, Robert Sala said obviously we're doing something right. If you're gonna talk about us. When we don't play until week four a good quote from the Jets coach except for the fact that he plays them in week five not week four that's been pointed out a couple times and then out of nowhere Aaron Rodgers sticks up for his coach and said I thought it was way out of line inappropriate and I think he as in Sean Payton needs to keep my coach's name out of his mouth now this beef is totally unnecessary it's totally overblown and I love it. I'm, I am love it so much. Now, with Sean Payton, I think he made a mistake going over the line here. Not just for a why would you say this, but more of a, I guess there's a, from what I've read out uh, today, a lot of coaches aren't very happy with what he said. They think that there's sort of supposed to be a mutual respect between coaches, and it's a tough industry to be in. And we saw that in the case of Nathaniel Hackett. So just being able to stick together and kind of, maybe you can trash talk a team, but the, the coach is supposed to be off limits. You guys are supposed to be buddies but Sean Payton totally ripped that down but I'd say the the biggest argument that can be made against modern about past sports being better than modern sports is the rivalries. Uh, there isn't really like what would you say is the biggest rivalry in NBA right now? Like Wizards or uh, Warriors Grizzlies? Uh, I don't even know
0: how much like, big of a rivalry yeah, that I guess, is. I think it kind of got, like, bubbled out. Like, it's usually a one- to two-year thing. Yeah. The only one that's really been longer than that in recent memory is Warriors versus Cavs with yeah. LeBron still there. Um, I could see Warriors versus Sacramento building into one next year a little more than the Grizzlies, but I don't know. That that's a, I wouldn't really say that there's a big one. Yeah, Maybe Philly-Boston would be a, yeah, a, a, a decent I guess so. one.
1: But it's like. That's more of a a true rivalry. is based off of like you hate each other. Now, when you. There's obviously rivalries in baseball and NFL where it's like, oh, the Bears are always wanting to beat the Packers and the Packers don't even think about them. They just go out there and beat them. And then there's the thing of, well, can the. Or uh, the Steelers and the Ravens, those are always a big one. Then the Yankees and Red Sox. But those are always like. They're rivalries because they're historic stuff. I mean, I'm sure that. They want to beat them because of all the history, but it's not like they're really focused on, oh my gosh, I hate those guys on the other side because they're from this team and they personally slighted me. I just don't think that's really there much anymore. But this beef, out of nowhere, I think that brings it back. I think these teams are going to be totally fired up to completely beat the crap out of each other on national television, and I am so excited. So the fact that they're able to manufacture hype for a game just out of nowhere for free. This is great advertising for the league, and it's completely ridiculous, but I'm so happy it's happening.
0: I, I 100% agree. I'm not really sure how to rate that. I wouldn't Just put a put 11 it. out of 10 is fine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I would give you a 7 for that one. Um, it, it's difficult. I mean, these are two teams that uh, going through quarterback changes uh, last year and then this year uh aaron Rodgers was rumored to be going to the broncos but then didn't <laughs> even though he would have been partnering up yeah, with hackett anyways broncos
1: wanted to get him apparently. yeah in retrospect packers probably should have made that deal but definitely hindsight 2020
0: um but he ended up sticking it out going to new york um so i do like that aspect like kind of pl- like planting the original seeds I do think Sean Payton might have gone a little bit too far (laughs) with what he said, but at the same time, it's like, might be a bad analogy, but it'd be like the next manager coming in after Michael Scott and being like, what did this guy do to this office if he just mismanaged the place and just ran it into the (laughs) ground? Like, I think it's fair to have a commentary on it if it was that poorly run. I mean, some of the things that came out of it were just terrible, like changing random stuff and like, Making guys call the red zone, the gold zone, and like yeah. all this like just weird I, I, the, the stuff. Big, yeah.
1: then there's Russell Wilson getting his own office. office. Oh, I am gonna stick up for Dunder Mifflin. I think that was like an ongoing joke is that they had a really successful branch, and there's like an episode of like they call Michael into David Wallace's office, and they're like, "What are you doing?" Well, he's like, oh, "I don't really know, to be honest." So, like, is that kind of be like more if the Broncos were good last year, but. I think
0: it would be the original because remember they were going to shut it down before yeah, right. uh, they closed the other. This is branch season one. Yeah. Office. <laughs> if that would have happened, if they would have just brought everyone over, and that's that, a it's solid like, analogy. What are you doing here? Yeah, yeah. I think it's fair to offer commentary on that stuff. Like, yes, you should have respect for the person, but if they're doing something wrong and you're coming in to clean up their mistakes, like it's all right to be like.
1: I, well, I got. I have no problem with a coach talking bad about another coach behind closed doors. But the fact that he went to some guy in the media, I guess he also gave this guy like a full hour-long tour. He, he knows him from New Orleans. But the big thing I saw is that he also gave a lot of other quotes that were off the record. Uh, <laughs> so it really makes me wonder what else was said. Clearly, he has Sean Payton has no filter. He's trying to get his team fired up. Really excited to see it.
0: Yeah, that, I mean, great matchup early in the season, right at that point where it like, could really be the turning point for the both these team seasons, especially if you're starting hot, you're starting slow, like that week five, like that
1: that match. Oh yeah, that's a good point. Because, I mean, both those teams aren't going to come in with a 4-1 and one or 5-0 record. None nope. of those teams are going to leave that with a losing record, and they're going to kind of get bagged on by quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So it was already probably going to be a big game, but added fuel to the fire. I love it. Well, should we jump to our next segment then? Yes, sir. All right, I guess it's, what, Badger sports update? We'll, we'll have it fixed by, uh, when, we're, when we're live, we'll have a, a real name for that. I promise. <laughs> uh, so anyways, Wisconsin Fall Athletics begins in less than a week as the women's soccer team will play an exhibition game against DePaul on August 4th. The men's team plays their first exhibition match against Green Bay on the 11th, and the volleyball team scrimmages against UIC on August 19th. All these games will be in Madison and are able to be viewed by the public. Uh, the first WSUM sports broadcast of the year will be on August 17th with the women's soccer team playing Kansas to begin their regular season. Wow. I mean, I, I mean, WSUM leading off the year, whoever's announcing that game, I'm sure they got their number one guy on that one, don't they?
0: Oh, 100%. I mean, you know they they saw the first game was on the schedule. They called up. Yep. First name on the list. Who do we got right there?
1: Yeah, and then they didn't pick up. Then they did call like six more guys like, oh, I guess we'll see if Vince is there. <laughs> uh, I, I'm very excited for the, the for the, this season. I I talk on and on about how I think the softball game is, games are criminally underrated. You can get into women's soccer games. At least last year, it was free admission. So I think it's one of those things they want to get you in there so you can buy some shirts and some concessions and stuff. But it's just such a cool atmosphere playing games at Lakeshore side. Should we just hop to likes and dislikes then?
0: Uh, got yeah, you want to add to the schedule? Uh, no, no. Let's just oh, hop man. over to uh, likes and dislikes.
1: All right. So it says you're first here. We we watch quite a bit of sports on the side. Not all stuff can made into a segment. So this is just our way to talk about a bunch of little nonsensical stuff. And I see you have all dislikes, which I think is pretty funny.
0: I think I'm just going to sneak in one like, but it, it, I don't even want to put it, it as a like. Be- so McLaren has been turning it around. I think I, I talked about that last time I was on the show. They had another good uh, race two weeks ago. This past weekend, they did well on Saturday during the sprint race, but then uh, their rookie driver, who was in uh, second place, crashed at the first turn of the race. Not the first lap, the first turn of that first lap. Was Um, that his
1: fault, or did he just get bodied?
0: It was a little bit of both. Okay. So, I mean, neither driver was really at fault. It happens all the time at the start. Like, everyone's kind of like jockeying for position in the corner and then you just run out of room for both cars and eventually they got to collide somewhere so um it just an unfortunate thing to have happened on the first lap of the race uh and especially um after a promising day uh or, yeah promising day just the day prior um but uh, I guess I, I enjoyed the, the sprint race, not so much uh, the race the next day because they, they did have a little bit of a disappointing p- performance. So the, that one I'm kind of neutral on. Um, but uh, then actually you know that it's turning into a dislike again because now the <laughs> Formula One, it's, they're on summer break now. So like now I, I, I don't have that to fill up my Sundays anymore. hate to see it. Uh, but another dislike then was uh, Jim Ursay's response to Jonathan Taylor's <laughs> trade request. <laughs> So he said, if I die tonight and Jonathan Taylor is out of the league, no one's going to miss us. The league goes on. We know that. The National Football League rolls on. Um, so I just hated hearing this because it's such an accurate, representata- re- accurate representation of the situation, but a brutal response to a guy who's like seemingly going about his negotiations in the right way. Uh, he informed the team privately that he wanted to trade a couple of days prior or a new contract. Um, didn't seem like that was going to happen. And, uh, now he's basically just being told no, and you're going to like it. And that's kind of just the, the way the running back, uh, market is right now, but it's just kind of unfortunate to see it happen. Uh, and especially for a Wisconsin guy like Jonathan Taylor, uh, T-totally it's disappointing.
1: Agreed. Uh, I've been following this very closely just cause I'm, I'm a massive Jonathan Taylor fan. Watching him at Wisconsin is probably the most fun i've had watching badger football although it's not saying a lot i am just 19 years old but i think
0: the most fun is when we just routed nebraska in that big 10 championship game yeah it was like that, that's 60 a good points. point yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah um but it, there's so much more to this story so i guess jonathan taylor demanded a trade he, he, and you said he didn't say anything he just kind of because i guess contract negotiations aren't going very well and uh, jim ursay had something to say before basically he said that um, like the the league is the current collective bargaining agreement is the way it is, and uh, agents are selling bad faith with some of these guys. And you say, oh, I wasn't talking about Jonathan Taylor. It's like, well, I mean, you just said that completely unprompted. And then he went on. So they wanted to mend the relationship. So I guess before practice, Jonathan Taylor met Jim Ursay on his private bus, and then they came, he, they, I, don't, I don't know what was said in there, <laughs> But Jonathan Taylor came out and formally and publicly demanded a trade. So clearly Jim Ursay did not say anything to really cool JT down. I am not really on anyone's side here. I think that Jonathan Taylor's asking too much money. I think that we saw it's what 16, 17 million. I think was in that range. And he's only he's really only had one great year, to be honest. He got hurt last year, his rookie year he wasn't I guess he wasn't used a ton, but he was absolutely excellent that second year. That being said, excellent one out of three years you play. It's a little, I'm not sure that's worthy really of a long-term deal. However, I just need Jim Ursay, and I'm pretty sure Colts fans would agree, to stop talking because maybe what he's saying is true. Maybe the agent is telling Jonathan Taylor he's word too much. And you know what? Maybe the league would not fall apart if Jonathan Taylor wasn't in it. But what does he gain from saying it, going back to the Sean Payton thing? It's like me saying that, If you watch a cat video on YouTube that's over six years old, odds are the cat is dead. That's true, but I don't gain anything from saying that. So you don't say it.
0: Unless you are recording an asynchronous uh, summer edition of a radio well, no, show, no, I said that to make a point. I know, but I, I think it's funny because I am actually mad about this. And <laughs> now, in the point, you are yeah. forced to say it though. I, I don't get why
1: yeah. Jim Ursay is even doing making football decisions for the Colts because it's oh. almost like we talked about uh, Dan Snyder last week about how he would just come in to the to the war room on draft day and say, "You are drafting that guy." even though he didn't, like, watch film or anything. This isn't to that level, but Jim Ursa needs to take a step back and let the football guys do the football stuff. Because you know what? Maybe the league would go on without Jonathan Taylor, but the Colts need him, or not need him, would really love him to help support a young quarterback who was in need of a good ground game. So... I'm not, an owner can't, maybe he can't make the situation better, but he can certainly make it worse. And that seems like that's exactly what he's done. And as someone who has Jonathan Taylor on fantasy, I really hope he doesn't sit out <laughs> way <halfway laughs> too soon.
0: Oh man. That's terrible. That Did you have him last year too? No. Oh no, I had him last year, <laughs> okay. I, that was brutal. Wait short. <laughs> I, I, I had him that's in two leagues. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I I mean, I agree. It's not really a place for the owner to be making those decisions if you want to have a successful football team. But imagine being the multi-billionaire that gets to own a football franchise. Are are you saying you wouldn't want to be a little bit hands-on with your team?
1: No, I wouldn't because I don't know football. Like, okay, I shouldn't say that. I don't know football to the level that— I've been, or I played in college and I've studied the game and I watched tape about fourth round cornerbacks on my spare time.
0: I'm not saying you got to be like having a headset on, on game day, but just sitting in the meeting every once in a while, like be like involved in the team rather than just a fan to some degree. Yeah,
1: But look at the, okay, look at the best teams, not even football, across sports, right? Uh, Denver, who's their owner?
0: Denver, like the Nuggets. Yes. Okay, I thought you were talking about the Broncos. Yeah. They were just purchased. I was like, that's not really the best organization to pick. Yeah. But uh, the Nuggets. Uh, th- he's. It's the same guy that owns like the um, Manchester City, right? Do you know his name? Is it the Glazers
1: or something like I, that? I don't know. But who's the owner of the Knicks?
0: Oh my God, I, I know wow, that one, but board. I can't, I get, uh, Nolan, right? Yes, yeah. James
1: Dolan. But it's like, you know the bad owners Dol- because they say more stuff. The most known owner in the NFL is Dan Snyder because he's such a lunatic. Meanwhile, you've got Lamar Hunt for the Chiefs who just sits back and the only time you really see him is when he's holding up a Lombardi trophy because he lets the football guys do the football stuff, I feel like.
0: Oh, I, I don't I, know. I don't think it's the recipe to be a successful owner, but I think... Like Jerry Jones, everyone like gives him hate for how involved he is and how outspoken he is, giving press conferences and stuff all the time. Like, I do think it's always a terrible decision for him, but I understand where he's coming from. Because if you I re-
1: don't though, it's I, I I'm mean, sorry. Like, go ahead. I, th- I, I think it'd be, I just think
0: it would be cool. I think it would be cool. It would be fun. I think it would be like it would be. If you had the money and the opportunity to put yourself in a situation in front of a bunch of cameras and you're like, oh, look at me. Like, I'm the owner of this football team. Like, look what I'm doing. It's the opportunity to give yourself as much credit as possible. like, <laughs> <laughs> And hoping that things go well because, of course, you're going to be delusional enough to think that it will, but obviously it's not going to. So yeah. I understand why they make the, the decision. I, I think it's a poor one.
1: Okay. Yeah, I should rephrase what I said. I am totally cool with owner. They own the team. They're cool. They bring the coach and the GM and say, how can I help you out? What's going on with this? Keep me posted. But I just don't like it when people are going public and saying stuff. I think that owners, they, they always make – whenever an owner goes public, the situation gets worse.
0: 100%. Then, And Jerry Jones, I think, is the best example of it, where he is probably been the most public owner out of – like any NFL owners, one yeah. of them, the longest running as well. has branded his team as, like, America's team. They have, like, won a bunch of championships back in the day, but now have gone through an incredibly long drought of not winning anything, and the hate just keeps growing. And, like, obviously he wants to be able to, to win another one, and he probably thinks he, he has the answer to, yeah. to do it, but it's, it's just not going to happen.
1: Yeah, well— I guess a uh, good conversation about that. I totally hijacked that. No,
0: I, I liked it. Well, what,
1: What's your next one you got on here? You have something uh, else to I have?
0: think that was all of it. That was. Oh, oh I actually, well, so he is not currently sitting out, but he... Jonathan, Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, Jonathan Taylor has discussed sitting out, um, and the, the team could put him on a non-football injury list, uh, meaning he wouldn't be paid for all the games that he sits out during the season. Uh, Jonathan Taylor has also tweeted saying that, uh, denying his uh, back injury um, and saying that they need to check their sources, but uh, <laughs> I'm I'm not sure where this is going to go, and just yep. something to keep your eye on. I mean,
1: yeah, absolutely. Um, it it stinks. I mean, it's we we talked about this at length last week. How running backs are an under they're, they're paid less because it's the most physically demanding position. So it's like let's pay our army guys the most or the least. Because they're not going to be around very long. That's a I poor mean, analogy. Yeah. <laughs> one it's add a, grim on. one. it's
0: yeah. a grim one.
1: Yikes. Okay. Well, <laughs> no, it's okay if I go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. All <laughs> right. So, I guess oh, i got to bring up my notes here. Right. Uh, so, uh, I guess I'll, I'll refrain from talking about the current major league brewers although I, I am very disappointed that they got swept by the braves as we record this uh, that being said i'm gonna look at double a because right now the brewers have the number two prospect in all in baseball according to major uh major league baseball's own website uh, jackson churio is completely going off in double a right now uh, the 19 year old really got off to a rough start in the year he completely dominated came out of nowhere in single a he, they call him up to double a and Here's the stats by month. In April he hit 264 OPS 712. In May he hit 224 OPS of 739. In June he regressed 250 but uh, didn't hit the ball very hard not a lot of extra base hits OPS of 714. But then in July he's hitting 388 with a 1.2 OPS which is uh now obviously he's facing Double A guys, but 1.1 OPS is 2019 Christian Yelich, and, and that's about the highest mark we've seen the majors in some time. Or that's Aaron Judge last year, I guess, for a better point of reference. Um, and another thing on top of this is that uh, they used to have uh, it, it was called enhanced grip baseballs in Double A baseball that basically makes it so the pitcher can get more spin on it when he throws it. And basically, it was universally hated because scouts can't really see how well a player will do in the majors because right now they're they're not even playing with the same baseball. So and coincidentally, they got rid of that enhanced grip in July, and suddenly his numbers spike. So I guess there's a possibility that he was actually this incredible all year, and he just hasn't been able to properly show it. Now I'm definitely not saying that Jackson Churio is the greatest baseball player of all time. I'm just saying that he will be soon. So get ready cuz i'm i am all aboard the hype train. I cannot wait for him to get called up. Looks like it'll be the middle of next year and then it'll be i don't want to say it'll be his team cuz Christian Yelich is there, but I am so excited to see this kid play in the majors.
0: So, I don't want to derail the conversation again, but what is like the normal call up process? Like what is like the youngest a player could be and get called up Ooh. into the league?
1: Um usually, well most rookies are like 22, 23, 24, some guys even 25, 26, but some absolute phenoms come up when they're 20 or I I think I'm looking up Bryce Harper right now. He was an all-star when he was 19 and he was an absolute freak that year, except he was considered one of the best prospects of all time. So, I mean, the, the fact that, but it's, There's been guys who've been called up when they're in their 20s, but it's more you want to see the skills that they have on display. Like maybe there'll be a batter can come up and he can hit 240 as an 18-year-old, but he doesn't have that power. He doesn't have the good discipline. Jackson Churio is an absolute 5 tool player right now. He doesn't have many true weaknesses in his game, and that's what makes it so exciting. So a fully developed Jackson Churio, his ceiling is best player in baseball.
0: So in this might be the wrong way to compare it, like, to basketball uh, in the NBA. Like, some players, like, you want them to just be the best player on a bad team and just get as much experience as possible, like, out <laughs> playing in games to help them ideally later on, like, maybe get a little playoff experience or whatever, like an SGA situation where then like, they have the opportunity to like keep developing, and then when you have all the resources right as they're he- hitting their peak, then you can go for it. Is that yeah, like a...
1: I'm, I guess in a way it does, except... Uh, well, some teams, what they can do is they manipulate. When a, like a player can be doing really well in the minors, except they don't want to bring him up to the majors and start that clock of how long he's going to be under club control, so they, they so they just leave them and wait till their team's better. That's not allowed, and it's kind of a scummy thing to do because a guy's doing everything he has to do to play majors, and you're just not giving that to him. But I guess sort of in a way, it's it's more that you can't, I mean, you, you can't really say it's like it's, it's his team or anything because you can't have one player take over a baseball team like one basketball player can take over his team. But I don't know, I, I guess it's interesting to think about I, usually, if you're dominating in one league, you get sent up to the next one. I think there's a chance we see him in Triple A by the end of the year, which I think would be incredible. But I don't know. I, I trust the Brewers. All right, was well, so, okay. Can I jump to my next one? Then? Yeah. Yeah. So I was watching the Brewers and they had a rain delay in Atlanta. So what the Brewers did is they they made a, a trade for Carlos Santana, first baseman, and that was what the entire pregame was about. It was about oh, he's a switch hitter. He can attack lefties. And uh, we think he's going to be a good everyday first baseman for the Brewers. And then the rain delay hit. And they come back and it's like, oh, welcome to the uh, the rain whatever place, or studio. And then they'll say, uh, so anyways, uh, Carlos Santana that's a pretty good deal. Uh, he's pretty good against lefties. He can play against first basemen. He's swinging a hot bat right now. So this is this a good acquisition from the Brewers? And they go to break. They come back. So uh, Carlos Santana is playing, very excited to see him play for the Brewers. And it was just kind of this over and over again. And I wasn't really watching. I was just kind of on my laptop and i thought you know they could do so much more with rain delay shows i think that at minimum they should show classic brewer games in the ninth inning mm-hmm. i think there's so much more you can do with empty airtime an entire reel of mlb footage i i think that now sometimes they film stuff like little documentaries of like them talk to the players that they can play for really long rain delays but by the end of it they're just showing like fishing stuff in the top right corner it just says like a oh, brewer game will be back at some point so i I'm just saying, uh, Valley Sports, I, I guess I don't know how much longer that Valley Sports will even be a thing, but I think they should get a little bit more creative with this stuff. Calling them out to step up their game. Yeah. I think it's a fair call-out. Thanks. <laughs> and to my second dislike, I let off the show yesterday or, uh, last week by saying that the Angels have to trade Shohei Otani because they're not going to make the playoffs, and they should instead just tank and then look forward to the future and stop doing what they've always done, which is go all in on people who don't turn out. And they did the exact opposite. They were putting my prediction to the test. They weren't sure if they are gonna trade Shohei or not, but then they went on a bit of a winning streak and they did the opposite. They don't. They didn't have much of a prospect pool to begin with, but they emptied out just about everyone to acquire some names at the deadline. Uh, specifically from the White Sox, they got Lucas Giolito, who was the, the biggest pitcher, you could say, on the market. And they got rid of their second and third prospects for him. So I'd that, say it's a pretty hefty price to pay. And then they also got two position players from the Rockies who are very good. They got themselves C.J. Crone and Randall Grishuk. I'm sure that they will help. That being said, I think that this is still a terrible move. They're going all in this year. And they're a team that's not even projected to make the playoffs. They're four games out right now. And they were four and a half games out the last time I said that they should trade Shohei. And here is their schedule coming up. They had a win streak, but then they lost two out of three to the Blue Jays, who they were, they're were they the team that they have to have a better record than because they're in the, the wild card spot right now. Now, upcoming games for the Angels. They play uh, the Mariners, who are above five hundred, the Giants, who are currently projected to make the playoffs, the Astros, who are the World Series champions, the Rangers, who are somehow have a better record than the Astros, even though they're in the same dis- division as the Astros, the Rays, who are a pretty elite team and the Reds, who are, I hate to say it, a very talented team that are really giving the Brewers a run for their money. So right now they're on the fringe of playoff contention, and now it's going to get way worse with the schedule. So they're going all in, and I think it's a terrible decision.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't really know. I, I, like, from what I understand, this is, like, the best player that baseball has seen uh, in a long time. Yeah. Uh, Partnered up with another all-time great player on the same team i feel like it's difficult not to try and take that la mindset kind of like the rams and just buy all in get stars around your assets try and win the championship that one year and then suck for the next decade but l- <laughs> really live off that one ring you won
1: yeah well usually you're because even if like they're, they're currently desperate they have a right now the the Baseball Projections website uh, Baseball Reference, they give them a 4% chance of making the playoffs right now. Uh, Not only do they have to beat the Blue Jays, they also need to have a better record than the Yankees and Red Sox who are ahead of them. Also the Mariners are right on the Angels heels. So they're not even like a team that's good, but they want to be great. They're an average team that's trying to throw everything at the wall and hope it sticks and a chance to squeak in. I think that that's just completely ridiculous because in my opinion, there's no way that Otani comes back next year.
0: So and this is just a guess from my very 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 limited knowledge of baseball (laughs) the best team in baseball that season they don't usually win like not or not every single year like the team that has the best regular season record like isn't it usually a team that just gets hot in the playoffs and then they win that year well
1: that's i mean the thing with baseball is it's kind of a, a random sport but i'm I guess you're you're right. I mean, the Phillies did, they they, uh, they had a big run at the end of the year. The Braves also a couple of years prior, they weren't really considered to be a true contender and they jumped in. But I just think that those teams were at least they were projected to make the playoffs or were close to it for the entirety of the year. And the Angels are not in that spot. They're below those fringe contender teams. They're level below just get in and get hot. So I, I think I don't know. Maybe I'll be wrong. they will go on a big run. They'll win the World Series. But in my personal opinion, they're going to miss the playoffs, and they just destroy their prospect pool and their future and any chance of really improving just to give themselves a couple months of some better players.
0: So if they do make the playoffs, or maybe how about we set the bar even higher, if they win the World Series? Then it's worth it. And what would you do? Would you, would you deliver an apology on the show then? Absolutely. Okay.
1: I will, but I don't anticipate myself doing that.
0: Uh, and if they lose, I guess that... You just run circles around it, then at the same, you have oh, to yeah. do this all over again. Yeah.
1: I'm already being very obnoxious, but I'll crank it up to 11. I definitely should. I'm actively cheering for them to crash and burn, <laughs> just so I can say I'm right.
0: I've heard a couple people start trying to like swin, sw- like switch the tide a little bit away from Otani because he doesn't have any haters, is the claim. <laughs> and so someone needs to hop on that bandwagon. Are you willing no, to step I love up and be Ohtani. that guy?
1: Great athlete, great for baseball. I, I hate the angels because they're because they're wasting Otani who I love so I'm I'm also in the Otani is awesome camp sorry <laughs> no, that,
0: I that that's fine I mean I don't know you anything can jump on face, that wagon I, if you want I don't know <laughs> enough about him and I feel he seems like such a nice guy he so like is. he's a great dude. the only thing that I really know about him is that anytime you see him talking he's just smiling so much that like <laughs> I don't know what he's saying because he's usually not speaking in English but uh he just seems like he's like such a like happy and genuine person. Yep.
1: Well, I mean, I guess when your biggest problem is that your the team that's paying you a ton of money to play baseball is not winning games, you 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 have reasons to smile. So, good for him. Just uh, I don't I don't know why I'm so uh, hell bent on hoping that he deserves better because I'm not. I guess when you talk about it in that context, he's probably going to be in a good spot no matter what happens.
0: But what's your ideal situation for him? Like what? For the like, maybe not for through the rest of his career, but through this next year, next contract, uh, where's the t- place that he needs to go?
1: Well, there's no place he needs to go. I feel like it's more. I, I just I'm pretty confident that Dodgers slash Yankees will offer him a mega contract that will be the richest in U.S. sports, and then um, he'll just play excellent baseball for them. And yeah, it, I, I can't predict where he'll go because. I'm sure every team will be at least calling his agent.
0: Is that one where he basically just has a blank check with every single team that <laughs> possibly can sign him?
1: Yeah, I went into I talked a little bit more about this in the last one, but basically he's him as a hitter would all just without even the pitching would get the biggest contract in baseball. and then you combine the fact he's also an elite pitcher. So it's like you're getting two of the best players in baseball except they've morphed into one. Superhero,
0: and so is he. Like the biggest baseball contract right now. How like how much money is that? I think right it's now? Aaron
1: Judge, ten years, three hundred thirty million. Do you? It's so not close to that. You expect? I think he'll get him, way. I think he'll make fifty million annually.
0: Uh, so above Mahomes. Yes, like I think or? he'll make
1: sixty. Actually, that wow. that'll be my prediction. Wow, Dude.
0: I mean, yeah. It's the sound of it. He deserves it. At the same time, I don't understand where that money comes from in baseball. Where you're talking <laughs> about a sport that's like, it, it sounds like it's on a downturn relative to other sports, and obviously, like, I mean, salary cap are like stocks; they only go up. So, uh, it's like it, it's. I don't understand how that's possible all the time, but yeah, it's just that just seems to be the way it goes for I guess the most so, part.
1: Uh, what's funny is that uh, guess what year MLB attendance was the highest. 1980. 2007. Really? Yep. So, and, and, you know, attendance dipped with post-COVID stuff. and Also, the game was kind of stale. It's up 8% this year. I think I saw it was the biggest increase from a one-year difference in attendance since they had the Mark McGuire-Sammy Sosa home run race, the, the steroid crazy year. So, things are looking up for baseball, and I love it. I think that having their best player playing a contender is a big part of it.
0: I'm just going to keep rolling with these dumb questions for you. Great. If baseball allowed steroids, would their viewership <laughs> go up?
1: No, I think, <laughs> I, think, I think there'd be some people who are not watching it would watch out of curiosity, but there'll be a lot of people who would be somewhat morally opposed to players juicing themselves like crazy and putting their life <laughs> on the line. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I did see someone, I forgot who it was, but they just said, like, you know, it was like there's an Olympic uh, scandal. It was like, oh, there's a ton of them every year for doping. And it was just like, heck it, let them juice. We'll see what humans can really do. But their argument against that is there, it's not good for your health if you're putting all that stuff in you. So if someone, if a great athlete were to go too far and then tragically hurt themselves, I think that would really prove why all these rules are in place.
0: I was going to end it are my dumb question string here, but I just came up with one more that I just have to ask. That's it's great. That's I'm going even right. further. All right. So, what do you think's more likely? They're gonna create uh some sort of chemical that increases human Dude, I'm ability, not a or for sports. So, like they allow like <laughs> doping in sports. Okay. Healthy for you. Like Like super soldiers or <laughs> robots, basically. <laughs>
1: you're saying you're gonna have robots play games yeah before. exactly so they like would uh, never do uh, that like real
0: steel uh-huh. or like <laughs> juicing and boxing first <laughs> well, what do you think i wouldn't be surprised i think it would have to be robots before because you're not gonna be able to make superhumans without having some sort of downside here i don't want to continue this yeah, we might have been in this hot room for a little bit too long <laughs> the
1: fumes are getting to us Oh gosh! All right, well, we'll jump to our next segment. <laughs> Fantasy football drafts are already around the corner. If you're a fool like me, you've already done your draft and you're facing the repercussions of drafting Jonathan Taylor and even Brees Hulk. It looks like that Delvin Cook's going to be joining that New York backfield. But anyways, what uh, we're, we're going to talk about, our we're going to go through each position right now. We're going to talk go over our top five players, and then we'll go over a sleeper pick that we have. So I guess you want to go first with quarterbacks.
0: Yeah, I'll start it off. So I have. Um, Josh Allen is the number one quarterback. really? So this was tough for me. It was a close two for Jalen Hurts. I think those two are kind of reversible.
1: Oh, wait, so you don't even have Mahomes as two.
0: I have Mahomes as three just because I think the rushing factor for those two makes the difference. And, like, I I think the dual threat aspect. Like, they both have great wide receivers. They both have excellent running ability. And I think that combination is what makes the best fantasy quarterback. Okay. And... I mean, usually you're getting one really good season out of it. And so Josh Allen has just been incredible the last couple of years, and so has Jalen Hurts, and I think that's going to – that trend will continue. Uh, Then I had Mahomes at the three spot. I think this was my boldest pick. I put Justin Fields at four for that exact same reason uh, with the rushing, and then I had Joe Burrow at five.
1: Okay. Uh, yeah, that, that's fair. I'm not sure. I didn't put Joe Burrow on my top five just because I'm not sure about that injury. He sustained oh, at yeah, the same time. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it should be fun to watch him this year. He should put up some big numbers. I did Mahomes, Allen Hurts, and then I did Lamar Jackson at four and Justin Fields. So I had four running quarterbacks in there with Allen Hurts, Jackson, and Fields. But I just think Mahomes throws for so many yards and so many touchdowns. Not to mention, his team isn't really a, a ground and pound team whatsoever. So I just think we, he was number one quarterback last year. I think he was almost number one quarterback the year prior. I'm just expecting him to keep dominating as always. Because I, even though Josh Allen puts up ridiculous numbers, he has a ton of turnovers as well.
0: That is true. I'm, uh, for me, I was just trying to put this as in perspective as not the guy that I actually like. Obviously, <laughs> basing this on just pure football, that's who I would take. But I think that would be the order that I would draft these three guys in. So. It was just a little bit of personal preference for me there. Who was your uh, sleeper quarterback? I'm going with Justin Herbert. Uh, Okay.
1: He he had kind of an up-and-down year. He kind of regressed from the ceiling he was expected to reach. Uh, However, their uh, former offensive coordinator, I think it was uh, Mike Lombardi, I don't know, Last name Lombardi, so I, I don't want to say anything too bad, but it was more of a it was kind of a dump down offense, and it was kind of unfortunate to see it was Justin Herbert averaged his least yards per attempt he's had in his career, just because they weren't airing it out like I think that they should. I mean, Justin Herbert's known for having a massive arm, and we've seen throughout the year he just makes some ridiculous throws, and they're uh, they got the Cowboys' offensive coordinator. Um, Kellen Moore, who if he, if Dak Prescott, you can say what you want about him, he gives you a lot of stats. (laughs) So I think that you combine the talent with Justin Herbert, with an offense that more fits his play style, I'm expecting some big things from him this year.
0: I had him just outside of my uh, top five. It was like him, Lamar, and Trevor Lawrence were the three that I wasn't really sure about. I went with Trevor Lawrence as my sleeper. Like, out of those three, I think they could be the biggest surprise, just adding... Calvin Ridley doing an already stacked wide receiver room. Hopefully going to have a good offense build off of getting a playoff win against the Chargers last year. So who knows? Yeah, I I, I should
1: say by sleeper, we mean like they could. We wouldn't be surprised if they wind up being like top five by the end of the year. Or even better, like top three.
0: Yeah, I think top three I think is, has to be the benchmark I, it's hard because you could just have like, say a player that you like but like, yep. at the same time it's like are they really going to finish top three like, I don't well
1: know. I think there's a I'm, I'm believing in my pick here
0: oh I, I could 100% I see Herbert I, Trev, Trevor Lawrence I, I agree with it I could, yep. finish, I could see him finishing top three it's hard for me though because I feel like he's again just like Herbert like just outside of that top five and yeah. like the difference between five <laughs> and those guys is really not that far off anyway so We'll find I'll out. Still call him a sleeper, Ben. Yeah.
1: If I throw another sleeper, I think Aaron Rodgers is going to have himself. But I don't, I, it'll be more like his MVP years than the year prior. He's totally bought in, and I think he's fired up. And a fired up Aaron Rodgers is. I'm expecting up like, some big numbers. Like
0: fantasy wise, Tom Brady during that uh, okay. first year in Tampa where he starts slow. I don't know. Aaron Rodgers, like, I, I don't think it'll be like a, a five. Game, like slow start, but I think like the first two, three weeks. Yeah, it's a I rough be putting it there. Yeah, I wouldn't be putting him in my starting lineup, but that would be a great backup quarterback to have.
1: Yeah. Awesome. I guess we'll jump to running backs then. Uh, I, I had the third overall pick in fantasy, and I picked Christian McCaffrey. Uh, he's my number one running back. Then I have Austin Eckler, then Bijan Robinson, and mm-hmm. I put Jonathan Taylor on here. I'm not sure if I should have done that now. <laughs> and finally, Saquon Barkley. Uh, I just think that. I'm going off of PPR stuff right now, and McCaffrey racks up receptions like no one's business. That could be the same said about Austin Eckler. That being said, he he was a very touchdown-dependent player when it comes to getting his points. I think he almost led the league in rushing touchdowns and had a lot of dump-down catches. I'm sure he'll still get his, but uh, as I said before, with the new uh, air-it-out offense, I think that he's not going to have the same amount of total catches as years prior.
0: I had the same one, too. I had CMC, then I had Eckler. I put Chubb at the third position. I like that. Because I think he's just the most overlooked beast of a running back where like you can steal him at the end of the first round, start of the second round, and just get incredible value every year. Because I think the only people that draft Nick Chubb are people that think he has a funny name, and then they realize oh, <laughs> how good he is, and they just keep drafting him every single year. <laughs> Uh, then at four, I had Barkley, and then at five, I, I had uh, Jonathan Taylor. I was going to put Robinson on there, but as a rookie, I just don't know what to expect. So I, yeah. I just didn't factor him into this list. That would be my sleeper pick, but uh, I kind of—this th- was a biased one, but I put uh, Najee Harris in there. Just Ooh, I, it's, a, right. it's a hopeful one as well. I'm hoping the offensive line's a little bit better this year, and we see a step up and a little bit more of what we expected from him last year.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Usually when you have a, a younger quarterback who isn't an athletic freak, like Kenny Pickett, give a ball, give the ball to the running back a lot of times in the end zone. So, yeah, I, I like that pick quite a bit. Um, I, about Bijan Robinson, I think he'll have a similar year to Austin Eckler where it's just he's going to be so involved with the passing game, I think he's going to rack up a ton of points that way. And I think they, I saw they're lining him up at wide receiver in certain packages. That being said, I, I hope he gets the ball quite a bit, regardless of where he lines up.
0: I just, I mean, the Falcons using their exciting new weapons hasn't trended well in recent oh. years. <laughs> so I don't know. Like, it's hard to factor it because everyone expected Kyle Pitts to just immediately yep. be, like, the tight end, and then they just didn't use him. Yeah.
1: So. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, and who was your sleeper? I'm...
0: Oh, my sleeper was Najee.
1: Oh, right. You just said that. Uh, my sleeper was Jameer Gibbs for mm-hmm. the Lions. Uh, they didn't really have too many i mean they lost jamal williams and he's a guy who got the ball a lot near the end zone they also lost DeAndre swift as well so you just have what a bell cow back on a team that likes to run the ball on the goal line i think that uh jameer gibbs for the lions he could fit the bill perfectly as that sleeper guy who quietly climbs up the waiver wire if he wasn't already drafted mostly which i think he will be
0: uh, jumping over to wide receivers, I think there's an obvious one for me <laughs> as Justin Jefferson. Uh, then I had Chase as number two, then I put Tyreek Hill number three, Cooper Cup is four, and then Stefan Diggs is five, even with the little beef going on with Josh yeah. Allen. Um, that one it, to me, I just expect him to have a hundred yards, a touchdown, and at, at least like five to eight catches every <laughs> single day. So, Um, I try and draft him every single year. He's one of my favorite players. Um, So hopefully he's back and playing, and I would expect him to be in that top five.
1: Yeah, fair enough. I had the exact same guys except in a different order. I had Justin Jefferson one. I think the Vikings will take a step back, but they're still going to force the ball to him quite a bit. Uh, Then I have Cooper Cup second just because he was was the number one receiver, actually, before he got hurt. He was really racking him up for a a, a not very good Rams team. (laughs) Most guys took a step back there, but Cooper Cup was the same, and I think that will be the case this year. Then you have Tyreek Hill. Uh, then Jamar Chase. I think Chase is going to struggle a little bit just because there's so many mouths to feed on the offensive side. And the Joe Burrow injury. And then at five, I have Stefan Diggs. I agree that the conflict is a bit of a, a warning, but that might mean that they force the ball to him more and he gets more catches. So I don't know. A silver lining, I guess, in that situation. So who's your sleeper here?
0: Uh, so I had three different sleepers I'm right. struggling with who to choose. and I Just uh, go through all three of them. All right, so Pickens, that's a Steelers-bias yep. one again, but uh, just a young, exciting player. I think he could surpass Deontay Johnson as the n- number one wide receiver on the team, so that would be his opportunity, uh, especially if Kenny Pickett takes off that, again, would feed mm-hmm. into that. Then I also have Jahan Dotson for the same reason, a young player that could come in and overcome uh, Terry McLaurin in their <laughs> offense. And just take over a wide receiver one position um, for a player that puts up a lot, uh, on a team that hopefully would be able or hopefully would have a lot of fantasy points available in their offense. Uh, and then the last one was Kadarius Tony just being matched up with Patrick Mahomes, maybe being their wide receiver one. Who knows? Yeah, like those are all guys where it could be them, but if, at the same time there is a big boomer bust with each guy.
1: Yeah, I like all three of those. I saw that. Uh, I'm sure you saw this as well that uh, Kadarius Tony said he tweaked his ankle. I'm not sure how major it is, but I think that a a healthy uh, Kadarius Tony and Andy Reid offense is going to put up some numbers. Uh, For for my sleeper, I went with Calvin Ridley. I think Mm -hmm. that we forgot just how great he was for the Falcons, and not just the last years, but even as a rookie, he was putting up 1,100 yards. Uh, I think that as the number one receiver in that Jaguars offense, coming off of a I guess you could say he has a chip on his shoulder, although he's also, he knows a lot about chips. So <laughs> um, he's, he's got an offense to perform, he's got the motivation to perform, and he's got the quarterback to perform. So I think uh, he, I wouldn't be surprised if he kind of puts himself into that, not upper echelon of receivers, but that next one right below that. I've
0: heard people, like, I think that's the perfect sleeper pick of people who are so down on him. I think it's just because of this like the storylines around him of him like gambling and yeah. obviously like that just puts a bad taste in people's mouth and drives them away from the player makes them not want to learn about him not want to look back and see how well he actually performed they kind of look and see like oh a little bit of uh, I think it was mental health is what he he was missing games for yeah. uh, at one point uh when he uh the last season he actually played 2 years ago um but even with all that, like when he's on the field, he's just an amazing player. And I, I love Trevor Lawrence, all those guys, like even Zay Jones, who I think might've had the most drops in the league last year, <laughs> ha- went off frequently. Was very uh, fun. Yeah. So I, I think Calvin Ridley really can step in and with a g- accurate quarterback throwing to him every single week, he'll have a lot more success.
1: There you go. I certainly hope he has his demons figured out, because I would, I mean...
0: Well, you got to figure, like, that's, even that's with Aunt, uh, Matt Ryan, this is probably the best quarterback he's had, right? Like,
1: mm, Yeah, I guess you could say that, because he wasn't really, he, he didn't have prime, prime yeah. Matt Ryan. So, yeah, I, I like that idea. Well, I guess we'll finally we'll jump to tight end. Obviously, I have Travis Kelsey, number one. Then I have Mark Andrews, TJ Hawkinson, George Kittle, and then I have Darren Waller at the tentative five... Uh, what, what do you think about that? So I switched mine
0: a little bit. I put Kelsey, Kittle, Andrews, Waller, Hawkinson, uh, Kelsey, we had the same top five. Yeah, same top five, different orders. Uh, Andrews, I put above Waller at that three position just because I, I just know what he's going to be each week, just force the ball to the only guy <laughs> who can catch on that offense. Yeah. Uh, same reason for Waller. I expect him to be up there, but in the Giants' offense, they run the ball a lot, so I don't know – that the targets are always going to be there for him, but I think he is the only guy who can really catch on that offense again. So yeah. should be up there. That wouldn't be surprised me if both those guys pass up Kittle. Um, injury concern there, obviously, for me, but he is just one of the most exciting tight ends. And if he plays, I would expect him to be just a, a couple steps below uh, Kelsey. So Wow, all right. I, well, I'm I'm very bullish on that, that play. <laughs> I've had him almost every single year in fantasy. So uh, my sleeper pick, gosh, I'm really just showing my Steelers bias here. They they just have a lot of young offensive weapons that I think are like can be really exciting. But this is probably like the most obvious answer is Pat Friermuth, I think is going to be a, a great tight end. Um, and he should get plenty of targets. So
1: Yeah, uh, I guess for me, I, I I totally agree with you. And also I think Pat Firemouth is great just because his name is fun to say. Oh, yeah. Uh, for my sleeper, I went with Evan Ingram. Uh, he had a rough start to the year for Jacksonville, but down the stretch, he was ridiculous. He had a game where he had 162 yards and two touchdowns. He had another 100-yard game. Uh, and then in the playoffs, he, he kind of proved that it wasn't just a fluke. He, he was a big part of why they beat the Chargers, and they re-signed him because they liked what they saw. And I think that with the even with Calvin Ridley, there's still some some holes that could be filled in the Jacksonville offense. I think he's going to fill a, a big hole over the middle. So That would, I mean,
0: definitely a great player. I'm Jacksonville is one of my sleeper teams for like a, a Super Bowl pick. Like yep. In our family, we do before the season at, at our fantasy football draft, everyone predicts their winner, and I like to pick a team that nobody has. <laughs> so if nobody takes a, the Jaguars, that that's probably going to be the team I go with.
1: Yeah, that's a good point.
0: Um, part of me— also means that that they're just a terrible pick then because if I'm thinking about it this early, it would probably mean they'll play well for a couple weeks during the regular season and then just fall apart right at the end of the year.
1: Yeah, knock on wood. They they were really fun last year, though. I guess they did kind of have an easier schedule down the stretch. But I remember it went from they played... The Ravens and Lamar Jackson it was like, whoa, the Jaguars just upset the Ravens. And then it turned into, oh, wait a minute, the Jaguars are actually really good. So They had really
0: powerful offense. And it, I think the biggest surprise was the Josh Allen against Josh Allen game <laughs> when he just got dominated. Yeah, Josh
1: Allen owned Josh Allen. Yeah. That Josh Allen didn't have a chance because Josh Allen was just all over him the entire game.
0: That, I, that matchup was also an amazing game, though, uh, all jokes aside. But... That like that is an exciting team. They do, they don't have the best defense, but they do have uh, some weapons and, yep. and talent on that end of the ball as well. So exciting team for me.
1: There we go. And then I guess we can jump to our, our final segment then of the day. Uh, there hasn't been a ton of sports to talk about, so we decided to come up with some or dig deep and find some interesting stories from the history of sports. I, I was gonna call it story time, but I got bullied very badly by my friend last week for that. So. We'll just call it interesting moments in sports history. And with that depressing introduction, I guess I'll go first. Uh, So this one's kind of a quick one, but it was probably, I would call this the all-time most underrated coaching blunder. When you think about coaching blunders, usually think of ones in the big spots, like Pete Carroll not calling a run on the goal line, um, Tim Duncan not being on the floor for Ray Allen's game-tying three. Uh, This one, just in terms of how it impacted the game, I think, It wasn't a late game situation, but boy was it hilarious. I'm taking you back to November 12, 2017. Now usually the Packers-Bears rivalry has been pretty one-sided, but this one had some extra intrigue to it because Mitchell Trubisky was a rookie and Bears fans were very bullish on him, and the Packers had themselves Brett Hundley, so they were trying to squeak out as many wins as possible so that way they could maybe have a chance to give Aaron Rodgers a chance to come back and lead him to the playoffs. Obviously that didn't happen, but this was still... An amazing game to watch. Uh, basically, the Packers leading t- were leading 10-3, and the Bears throw a screen pass to running back Benny Cunningham. They were at the Packers 25, and Cunningham catches the screen. He rips off a big run, dives into the end zone, is marked just out at the one-yard line. And the Bears players are kind of incredulous. They saw the ball touch the pylon, and they're all signaling touchdown. Uh, the running back, Benny Cunningham, gets up, and he's like shrugging to the refs. So John Fox takes a, the Bears coach takes a peek at the replay and he throws the challenge flag, and then the replay showed that the only reason why the ball touched the pylon is because Benny Cunningham fumbled the football at the one yard line. So after further review, yeah, see what I did there. The the what would have been down at the one was instead called a safe or a touchback, and the Packers wound up getting the ball. So I did my all-time favorite ref moment of uh, the referee saying that. Uh, after further review, the ruling has been changed to a touchback. Chicago wins the challenge. So I just <laughs> thought that was so funny that they won the challenge. Congratulations, you lost the football. So they could have, I mean, if they would have recognized that he fumbled the ball. The running back, they could have quick gone hurry up and tried to get into the end zone. Which I'm sure they would have first and goal at the one, or at least would have gotten some points. Instead, it, it was a game-changing turnover. So just fun to see that a coach challenges a play and he wins it, but he still loses.
0: Funny enough, something almost identical happened to that in the uh, Browns-Chiefs game with uh, Baker Mayfield when Patrick Mahomes got hurt like right at the end of that game. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, the, I think it was the Browns, had the ball, and uh, their player got hit uh, with like a head-to-head, like helmet-to-helmet <laughs> collision. They reviewed it and realized that he fumbled out of the back of the end zone. So... Uh, they didn't call the penalty, but they did review it and see that he fumbled the ball. So the guy was out of the game. Their own player got injured and was out of the game. They lost the football and uh, <laughs> instead of having it down at the 1 uh, and definitely ended up losing that game. But yeah. it kind of changed the tide for the, the Cleveland Browns and Baker Mayfield right there. Yeah,
1: that's rough. They had a chance in that game, but they just couldn't handle the goat Chad Henny <laughs> down the stretch. <laughs>
0: All right. Is it all right if I uh, take over with my story? Go for it. So, um, mine is a. <laughs> God, oh, it's a, it's a little. Like it's a little bit grim uh, for this one. So, uh, in nineteen ninety five, at the uh, Hungarian Grand Prix, um, Taki Inoue was uh, forced to retire, um, and after a fire started in his car. So he quickly pulled off to the side of the track uh, with marshals and a medical car quickly sent to his aid. Um, Two marshals came and put out the fire, uh, spraying him with the fire extinguisher as he stepped out of the car uh, and then began walking in the grass along the the, uh, track as a medical car that was sent to help Taki ended up hitting him uh, at a rate of speed fast enough to send him onto the hood of the car uh, allowing him to roll off onto his feet and collapse to the ground in pain, uh, he was a, a Japanese-born racing driver and uh, was only on the grid for about two seasons. Uh, and is best known for being hit after, uh, be, for being hit after he retired his car in two different races. Uh, so that was the second time it happened. Wait, he's
1: been hit multiple times yes. by a, a medical truck. Uh, not
0: the medical truck. The first time was uh, in a free practice session. He had to retire his car. He pulled off to the side. And then another driver came around and hit him. Uh, this time he was completely off the track, outside of his car, and got hit by a medical car, of all things. Wow. So That is... <laughs> It's probably like one of the most grim uh, moments. Like, could have been incredibly dangerous. And if you you look up the video, you see that he got out of the way and then went right back in front of the car when he he got hit by it. Um, but not not exactly uh, how they they planned that one up. Yeah. So,
1: Gosh, poor guy. Yeah. Wow, it seems like a really great way to end the the final asynchronous summer show.
0: Yeah, start off talking about the Packers and talking about the guy getting hit by a medical
1: car. Poor guy. (laughs) Well, with that, (laughs) if you are still watching, Mm -hmm. thank you very much for listening. We Mm -hmm. will be back in the fall. Hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you very much. This was After Further Review.